In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. God willing, today we're going to speak about a famous passage uh, of the Scripture in the book of Second Samuel, chapters 11 and 12, which is focusing on um, the fall of King David um, with Bathsheba, which maybe many of us are familiar with the story, but we're going to read it and kind of discuss what we can learn from it. One thing I want to emphasize about this story, because oftentimes we read it kind of in passing or we, we know the story, is um, to emphasize how big a fall this was um, for King David. King David was the, the king who was anointed by God, and we see actually throughout his entire life how faithful he was to God, even from a young boy. Um, he was faithful to God. He's the one who stood up against Goliath. He's the one who... Um, who refused to king kill King Saul, even though Saul was chasing after him. He's the one who was always faithful to God in everything that he did. And yet in these two chapters, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, we see David as like a completely different person. Um, none of the characteristics that we're familiar with we, he exhibits. And he actually does things that would, in modern times, if someone did something like this, they would be imprisoned <laughs> um, uh, to, to, to like... Uh, uh, arrange for the death of, of a man who was the husband of the woman that he wanted to be with. So we're going to read the story, and, and the, the, the goal here of studying this um, is to try to apply it and understand that the, the when people try to entertain the idea of adultery, um, it's a very dangerous and slippery slope um, that someone can easily fall into and find themselves in the midst of something that maybe they didn't intend from the beginning. Um, but we see this when we study um, the story of King David. So this is starting in Second Samuel chapter 11. So it says, It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. What, what is relevant about this verse? That maybe we can, from the very beginning, we can kind of maybe identify a problem area with King David. Yeah, so it says it's the time where kings go out to battle. But he did not go out to battle. He remained in Jerusalem. Why is that? Maybe he felt um, a sense of complacency. He felt like uh, he wasn't really needed in the battle, that the armies without him would do just fine. Maybe he felt like he was strong. Uh, whatever the case might be, he remained uh, where he was. And maybe, you know, we don't have battles to fight like this, but we have other things that um, when we kind of take a break and we are uh, lazy or idle, um, not busying ourselves with things, and then our minds begin to wander, our senses begin to wander, um, and we find ourselves uh, maybe confronted with temptations that otherwise we would not have experienced because we are filling our time with, you know, activity. So that's why when they say, um, you know, an idle mind is the devil's playground. Like when they say this, like because when a person is idle and they are not busying themselves, this is when temptation is likely to strike. And that's why in the church we're always so speaking so much about like being ready and being watchful and being alert, um, not you know not 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 letting our guard down, because like Saint Peter said, the, the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so King David here from the very beginning, um, there starts to be a question: What is he doing? Okay, he's, he's staying home. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So the roof 
um, obviously they didn't have air conditioning, right? So the roof was like a cool place to relax in the evening, especially during, during the warmer months. And so from his vantage point up at the top, um, he was able to see all around on all the houses um, of the people who are around. And what's important to understand here is King David was not intending to sin. You know, sometimes when we read about, like in the news, about scandals, uh, people who had affairs, um, people who, you know, like, like fell into these relationships with other people, we look at them as maybe we think, you know what, these are evil people. Or these are people who, you know, um, had the tendency to this from the beginning. Or there's something unique about those people that causes them to think that having such affairs or whatever is good. But actually, um, maybe anyone can fall into such a thing if the temptation is strong enough um, and the opportunity presents himself. King David here was not intending. Like when he stayed home from, you know, from the battle and when he went up to his roof, it was like any other day for him. There was nothing um, that he was intending to do wrong. There was nothing in his mind. He was not intending to sin. And again, this is the same, ki same King David that we've read about all along. The one whom God said that, his, that this is a man after my own heart. This is the man whom every other king that came after him was compared to him. So by no means was he a man who was considered a wicked man, a sinful man, a lazy man, um, uh, a godless man, an unrighteous man. No, he was the opposite of all those things. He was a very righteous man and he was a good king. And yet he was there in his house and he happened to see something with his eyes that he didn't intend or didn't realize, right? So it was normal at the time for people to bathe outdoors in those days because there was no indoor plumbing. Um, and David, when he happened to see this woman, um, he, he, he saw and he, he, he saw that she was beautiful. Um, St. Jerome says about this, he says, notice here how even in his own house, a man cannot use his eyes without danger. Meaning, meaning we are always having to be on guard because the thing that might uh, manifest itself to us is could be unexpected even when we feel like we are in a safe place or a place um, you know that is that is not a sinful place you know we talk about staying away from sinful places and sinful influences but sometimes even with every attempt to do so we end up seeing things um, that that are, are ungodly so temptation strikes when we least expect it right and and now in addition to king david maybe being bored or tired or lazy or complacent or whatever the case might be for him um now we're going to see that this temptation that he experiences is going to be magnified this applies to us as well like whenever we are for instance considering something to watch on on online um maybe also like we're not intending to sin we're, we're not intending to do wrong but the things that we happen to see could have a big influence on us um, and, and what it might cause us um, to do. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Okay, so King David, because he was attracted to this woman, um, uh, he decided that he was going to call and ask about her. Now, in the Old Testament, so K King David already had more than one wife at this point um, in the Old Testament even though God tolerated the idea of, of men marrying multiple women but it was not the command I mean the command from the beginning is that a man would have only one wife um, and though it was a common practice in the Old Testament for men to marry multiple wives but it was not considered a right practice um, it was not considered something that was good it's not something that God favored but he tolerated it because of the weakness of the people um, but so here, King David, he sees this woman, 
and he, he's interested in her and he doesn't know who she is okay so he begins to ask about her now we see here at the very beginning this is like the genesis of the sin that is starting to formulate in his mind right he's he, he saw something that was a temptation but now he's beginning to take action based on the temptation and maybe the action that he is taking here is very innocuous let me ask a question let me ask about who she is so by inquiring about her right and desiring her she learned he learned that she was married and who is this man Uriah the Hittite Uriah the Hittite was one of King David's most faithful soldiers right he was considered uh, one of King David's mighty men of valor so he's like one of his top top people someone who is super super loyal to King David um, and so King David of course knew him very well so when he asked about her he found what that she is married and that she is married to a, a trusted person of, of his okay so here again he is presented with a choice right he is presented with a choice what does he do now that he realizes who she is and that she is married and that who she is married to but it says then David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her for she was cleansed from her impurity and she returned to her house so of course this is a one verse that has many many things that happened in it right so not only had he asked he could have asked about her found out that who she was and that she was married and then said okay I'm not gonna do anything right but he still continued and he went to the next step and he says he sent messengers right sent messengers to, to bring her to him okay and it's likely that Bathsheba whenever these messengers came to her and told her the king wants to see you that she didn't really understand what was the purpose of her being summoned to the king um, and even though like Bathsheba you know definitely played a role in this like she 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 had she had to willingly consent to everything that happened so she is also to blame but King David had you know was a very powerful man and um, and to you know to say no to the king would be something maybe difficult for her to do um, we also know that even after this happened that Bathsheba never tried to tell her husband Uriah the Hittite what happened to her like she never admitted it to him she never told him this is what King David did to me so she's also participating in the secrecy of what is it that's happening so St. John Chrysostom speaks now about this moment where King David falls into sin uh, he says and the prophet was found in adultery the pearl in mud however he did not yet understand that he had sinned the passion ravaged him to such a great extent because when the charioteer gets drunk the chariot moves in an irregular disorderly manner when the charioteer is to what the charioteer is to the chariot the soul is to the body if the soul becomes darkened the body rolls in mud as long as the charioteer stands firm the chariot drives smoothly however when he becomes exhausted and is unable to hold the reins firmly you see this very chariot in terrible danger so he's saying that the mind is what kind of guides the heart right so he's saying here that 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 King David kind of lost control of himself right again the same man that we've just talked about how good and righteous he is and how pleasing he is to God he's acting in a way now that is completely foreign to what we know about King David and and actually in these two chapters King David is completely unrecognizable in in the decisions that he makes so so here he calls for this woman okay even though he, he knows who she is and who she is married to and he lays with her and and then what she returned to her house right so it was like like one a one-day thing 
Like he was so he was so enamored with her. He was he felt so much lust with her that he had to possess her right in that one moment. And he considered what that there would be no harm that comes from this, right? No one has to know. Her husband doesn't have to know, um, and that's something that he's going to do. Um, and maybe he felt entitled to this as king, um, or, or because he was a powerful man. Um, but but he, again, like the the expectation, of course, him as a king and as a righteous king, is that he would never do anything like this. After he had committed the sin, it's likely that he regretted to some extent what he did, feeling like, okay, maybe this wasn't right to be done, but it's done. And I'm not going to confess it. I'm just going to hide it. And life is going to go on, maybe with the intention that he was never going to see this woman again. Okay? Um, but this is what happened. But then it says what? And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. This is the consequence of sin. Maybe the unintended consequence, but the consequence that we experience whenever we sin. Sometimes these consequences are immediate, right? Like, so for instance, something like this, or if somebody murders another person, like there are immediate consequences that some sins bring about. But there are other sins where the consequences are more long-term and, and, and they take a longer time for them to manifest. You know, there there's some bad habits that develop over a long period of time where a person gradually gets addicted to a certain activity, right? And and over time, they find themselves addicted to it. It's a consequence. And now they try to free themselves from it, and they can't, okay? But here, this is the consequence that King David is experiencing now. Something, again, he never expected, that the woman is pregnant, right? So it changes everything. So if King David had felt any remorse initially, right, um, maybe maybe now by the time the woman realizes that she's pregnant, um, he had forgotten completely about this and he had moved on with his life, right? And he never expected to hear from Bathsheba again. But now he has a bigger problem, right? What do I do now that this woman is pregnant, okay? So again, from the beginning, the devil kind of hides us, hides from us the consequence of sin. In the moment of temptation, um, it's easy for us to justify what we want to do um, and to minimize any possible consequence that might come from the sin. We minimize it. We say there's not really going to be any big deal. There's not going to be any bad consequence that happens to me. Um, this is very normal and whatnot. And again, maybe King David didn't expect that there was going to be any consequence at all. But he risked everything for a moment of passion. We can also see maybe like in the life of Esau, how he did something similar. In the moment of his hunger, he gave up his birthright to his brother Jacob simply because Jacob offered him some food, right? Like, again, it's a passion. His hunger was so strong in that moment that he wasn't able to think clearly or evaluate the value of anything. He just looked at the, the hunger that he felt, the food that was there, and he wanted the food, and I would give anything for the food. Nothing else mattered. Just like King David here, he had this lust, and he was willing to give up everything, even his own, his own character before God. It, like Whatever consequence that might happen didn't matter to him at all because he was moved by, by lust. So now what is King David going to do? It says, Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. Right, so Uriah is her husband. Why do you think he's going to ask for Uriah the Hittite to come? Hmm? Well, so eventually he will send him to battle, but what does he do now? Try to get him to go home to his wife. Why? So that there would be 
that he could say that this child was not his, right? So all of this time Uriah is still in the battle, so there is no way that she could be pregnant, right, from her husband because he is he is in the battle. And so this was going to bring a lot of attention. Who is the husband or who is the father of this child, right? And then King David would get into trouble. So he thought, well, um, let me bring her husband so he could be with her and then whenever she gives birth everyone will think and believe including her husband that this is his own child and then everything will be okay right so king david's immediate uh, response to the problem was not okay let me repent of what i did because i messed up no it was let me figure out how to cover it up right let me hide it um, and hide it in a way that clears me and her husband will never know now King David will always know, and Bathsheba will always know the truth, right? And they will have to carry that guilt and shame with them because they are not going to admit it to anyone, right? But at least there will be no consequences, like external consequences that happen. And this is one of the things that happens to us when we have unrepented sin that is not confessed, is we carry the bitterness and the shame and the memory of the things that we have done and they are like a burden to us, and we carry them with us. And even if we ask God to forgive us, yet there is a kind of a burden because I remember that I did all of these things. And so this is one of the consequences of sin, is, is the knowledge and the remembrance of what it is that we've done and the shame that comes with it. And that's one of the things that, when we confess it, can be lifted from us, right? But when we don't confess it, we don't. So here, at this point, King David is not showing any remorse. He's not, he's not showing any, you know, any, 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 um, you know, the, even the smallest amount of like sadness for what he did or regret for what he did. He's immediately goes to the, to the mindset of, let me, let me, let me make a plan, right? What is the plan that's going to save me from, from any, from all of this? Keep in mind also what's about to happen is that Uriah the Hittite, the man whom he slept with his wife, he is now going to come to him and he's going to have a conversation with him, right? So he's, he's going to be talking to him. How did King David feel in this conversation? When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. Joab was like the commander of the army that was still in the battle. So when Uriah came, uh, he's asking about Joab. He's asking about the battle. Of course, he's not really asking about how the war prospered at all. He's just trying to talk to, to, to Uriah um, because his only thing that he cares about now is... Um, how do I get myself um, out of this? David could have asked many different people to give him an update about how the war prospered. Again, Uriah the Hittite was a very decorated and, and, and good soldier. He would not be the one to be asked why, why, you know, how is the war going because he is needed in the battle, right? He could have asked any other low-ranking person to come and give a report of how the battle is going. Um, but he's calling for Uriah the Hittite. Now, the other thing that begins to happen whenever we try to cover up our sin is we start making choices that could hurt other people, right? That could damage us and could, could hurt other people because our focus is not now on anything but how do I cover up the sin that I committed? How is it that I um, can get out of this trouble? And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. So after having this conversation, Uriah doesn't, we don't even know the response of Uriah. What is it Uriah said to him? Um, king David said, go to your house. 
again, go to your house. Why? So that he could be with his wife, so that he can give a, a plausible reason as to why she is she is pregnant. Um, so King David is trying to entice Uriah to go to his house, and he even sent a gift with him, right, of food to make it more likely that he would go, right, to entice him because he wants him to go to spend time with his wife. Um, so, so what he is doing now is trying to like cover up a sin with another sin. And this is also a sin that he's doing. He's hiding. This is the sin of hiding. Sometimes we, we think that hiding is not a sin. But here he is hiding. He is deceiving. He is manipulating the situation in order to get out of um, the sin that he had committed. His goal here is not to really reward Uriah or to give him food. His goal here is selfish, that he wants something for um, himself. And David, again, could be justifying his actions right? Maybe he would think to himself, well, what good would it be if Uriah finds out? You know, maybe it would cause an even bigger problem. So better for him not to know. And I'm just going to clean up all of this mess quickly in this very clever plan that I've concocted to, um, to, to get out of the situation. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? So he told him to go. He sent him the food. Of course, Uriah, having been at war, would want to go back to his house and to see his wife. Why is it that he didn't go? And he said he slept. He slept what? Um, at the door on the ground. Well, he didn't need protection because there were other people to protect the king. He didn't deserve? He didn't desert the war? Okay, yeah, he felt loyalty toward the other soldiers that were still putting their lives at risk in the battle. He said, how can I go back to my house when all of the other soldiers are fighting in the war? So actually, Uriah was such a loyal servant, right, to King David right into the whole nation and so what's happening now is what king david's plan for how to get out of this is now starting to, to unravel it's not working and what's going to happen is king david is going to get more and more stressed and and the things he's willing to do in order to cover up his sin are going to escalate right because again god is like you know one, one thing about this is we don't hear at all about how how god is uh viewing king david in this in this whole chapter you don't hear about god at all all we see is what king david is doing but the way that king the, the way that god is trying to get king david's attention is maybe not through direct words but through the circumstances it's like every time you are trying to cover your sin it's, it's getting it's getting harder like it's not working maybe every time we try to cover up our sins it's more painful the consequences are contrary to what we expected maybe it's time that i should confess um but but no, maybe we th we're afraid of the consequence, so we keep trying more and more and more. So his attempt to cover the sin led actually to more sin, okay? And the problem did not go away. And Uriah said to David, so this is now Uriah explaining. Why is it that he didn't go to his house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? 
as you live and as my as your soul lives i will not do this thing okay so again uriah was loyal to david and so what does he mean when he says the ark our dwelling in tents the ark israel and judah are dwelling in tents what is he referring to the ark of the covenant so what does the ark of the covenant have to do with this So they used to take the Ark of the Covenant to war. They were sure they weren't supposed to do that. The Ark, the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to stay in the tabernacle, uh, and 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 in the holy of holies, and it was used in the in the worship. But the Israelites, because their weak faith, and because they would see that all of their enemies would bring the idols of their gods with them to battle, they thought, you know, we have to bring something. Like we we can't just we can't just come without something. So they would bring the Ark of the Covenant with them to battle. Right, and actually, at times, the Ark of the Covenant would be stolen. Um, so they shouldn't be doing that. But that's the reality is what they were doing. So, so Uriah is saying the Ark of the Covenant itself, right? The Ark of the Covenant has on the top of it the mercy seat, which is where God would appear to the high priest in the tabernacle. So, like this is not like like this is a big deal. Like this Ark of the Covenant. So he says that the Ark of the Covenant is out there in the battle in a tent, right? How is it that I can go? Um, and be with my wife okay so he didn't want to enjoy any comforts right he said because they are not comfortable i don't want to enjoy comfort and he even brought like the religious perspective of it he says like the ark itself like how am i going to treat myself better than the ark it's kind of reminded me of in the the book of haggai haggai the prophet is rebuking the people and he's telling them you know, you have spent all of your time and money to fix up your own house, but you have left the house of God desolate. Like you have not spent the money to renovate the house of God, and you spent all of your time to, to build your own houses. Whereas here Uriah is saying the opposite. He's saying, I'm going to place God's house or the ark to be of a higher value than myself, and I'm not going to go um, to my house. So definitely King David, number one, he did not expect this, and this should make him feel so ashamed right, that King David has concocted all this plan and trying to lure Uriah the Hittite away from the war and to deceive him, and he has deceived him, right, whereas this man is like this model example of a faithful soldier, um, and all of this King David, like, or Uriah doesn't know what is it King David had done with his own wife, okay. So all of these were signs to try to wake up David, to make him say, you know what, um, I've sinned, and I shouldn't have done what I did. And um, and and the more I the more I try to push, and the more I try to go down this path, uh, the the more resistance I have. And this is actually the voice of God speaking. So sometimes again, the, the God speaks to us by giving us warning signs, by giving us examples of people in front of us that kind of maybe convict us of the sins that we have committed, right? Or 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 we hear words um, maybe in. In, when we read the Bible or in sermons or, or in whatever way, like God is speaking to us loudly in a voice that we can hear, right, um, through, the, through the circumstances that we have. So um, what happens now? Then David said to Uriah, wait here today also and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. So David said, well, let me try again, okay? Maybe if Uriah stays long enough, here in the city, he will eventually go to see his wife. Maybe his wife will hear 
that he is in the city and she will call him and be like, why haven't you come to see me? And she'll be upset with him or something, right? But he remained a few more days, right? So that, um, he, he, like, like, is he going to keep sleeping at the door of the king every day? Now, when David called him, he ate and drank before him and he made him drunk. So now this is another plan. He says, okay, well, Uriah was not willing to go to his house. So I'm going to make him drunk. David called him, he ate and drank before him and made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. So David was getting more desperate. He says, well, if I'm not, if the man's conscience is so strong and the man's will is so strong that he's not willing to go to his house for the sake of his, of, of his conscience, right? Because he, he, he would be going and seeking his own comfort while the rest of the people are at war. Well, I'm going to make him drunk, so I will destroy his conscience. So I will make it so that his mind is weak, so that he's not able to think clearly, and that he will just go and do whatever it is that I ask him to do. Everything else he had done had failed, and so now this is what remained for him to try. Okay? Uh, and yet, right, um, what happens? Or sorry, it says what? He did not go. Right? He did not go. He he. he he, he stayed with the servants um, in the king's house, and he did not go down into his own house. So again, God is showing resistance to everything that King David is doing. This is a way for King David to think to himself, you know what, this isn't working. I have to just admit and fess up to what is it that I have done. So this is a good stopping point for today. Um, God willing, we'll conclude the story next time. Um, any final questions or comments? Okay. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Lord, for this day. We ask for your mercy, and we ask for you to illuminate our minds and help us to see our own weaknesses and all the ways, O Lord, that we sin against you and try to cover it up. We ask, O God, that you restore us again as you restored King David, and you saw him as a righteous man. Strengthen us, O Lord, and, and grant us, O Lord, the kingdom of heaven. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.